Welcome to Living Untitled, a new podcast featuring conversations about the limitless optimism and possibilities in our untitled world. I'm your host, Justin Boone, and today I'm thrilled to welcome Elisa Bocranegra to the podcast. Elisa is a Puerto Rican-American actress, a Fulbright scholar, a director, a curator, an environmentalist, and founder of Hero Theater, a social and environmental justice theater company in Los Angeles. She started doing theater at the start of the HIV-AIDS epidemic, in which her voice, as a member of the Latin community, was excluded from any help available to combat the disease. She was inspired by actress Olympia Dukakis, who became her mentor, to start Hero Theater because she wanted to create space for actors who had a voice, an experience, and a perspective to share, though it was going unseen by most theater companies and audiences. And Hero Theater does more than create theater. It's a community that renews, revives, and re-envisions the classics on stage, letting people actually step into those roles to be the heroes that they grew up following on the pages or the screens or the stages that they happen to be able to consume on a regular basis and now actually see what they can create in those roles instead. First, I want to actually start by just like getting to know a little bit of you, your background, and also you have something really interesting in your mission statement for Hero Theater that starts with this really powerful statement of inviting audiences to envision and experience America as we do. Yes, I get emotional as you say that. I, I, well, yeah, I mean, I, I do. And yeah. you, like, as the founder of this, and mm -hmm. you certainly coming from a place where clearly there's a lot of motivation behind mm -hmm. you putting this forward in the yeah. work that you're doing. Yeah. What is the genesis of that? Where did that come from? Oh my gosh. Well, I, I should preface this by saying I've been doing theater professionally since I was 17. Wow. And I did theater um, in community centers throughout the boroughs of New York. Yeah. Um, I worked with some incredible Afro-Puerto Rican artists, and we were yeah. educating people about the diaspora of our community, mm -hmm. but also opening it up to other Latina communities mm -hmm. and, um, you know, tackling issues that at that time um, were really deep, like HIV AIDS in our community, mm -hmm. how it was affecting it, how we were shut out from so much. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, any opportunities, you know, for, for trials, things like that, we our communities were shut out of. So we were doing a lot of theater like that in communities. You know, I, I kept acting in my my first film, which I did for, I remember I made like $300 on this movie. I'll never forget this experience. <laughs> and, you know, at the time when you're like that struggling New York theater actor, like eating a pint of white rice with some duck sauce oh, every yeah. day and that's what you're eating, you know? I was like, well, I'll do it. I'll put what yes. I, I don't care. I'll get in front of a camera whenever you guys want. I never had those like Hollywood dreams, yes. you know, mostly because I'm a plus size Latina, right? And I was like, that ain't going to happen. I don't look like Jayla or Sofia Vergara. So, <laughs> so um, I just kept going. So that, that same movie happened to win at Sundance when I was at a super young age. Wow. And that started to bring me here. But the, the film and television world, ironically enough, kept bringing me back to theater. The mm. connections that I would meet there would always circle back to theater. Coming out to L.A., I would meet casting directors who were theater people, yeah. either Chicago or New York. I was introduced to a theater scene here in Los Angeles that I didn't know about. Yeah. That was Chicano, but so cool and so political. And I 
was like, yo, like we cook our beans differently, but I'm in. Like, can I, can I come in? Can I come in? Um, and I was welcomed by Luis Alfaro and the late Diane Rodriguez. Ah, yes. Um, so cut to that eventually many years led to um, me doing a play at the Roundabout Theater in New York. I was a non-English speaking maid. I worked with an actress named Olympia Dukakis, who mm-hmm. I don't know for those fans of Moonstruck, she was Cher's mother in that yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, and Olympia was like, why are you doing these parts? You are so much better than this. Never take them again. And I said, you know, lady, with all due respect, um, a, I came to steal from you because you're funny as hell and I want to steal from <laughs> totally. you, right? <laughs> I said, but B, we don't get a lot of opportunities that are not like this. Mm. I was like, we just don't. So I have no choice. <laughs> and then she said, so what are you doing with that brain of yours and all of your genius and artistry? And I was like, well, I don't know. At this point, I'm trying to pay rent. Mm. And she said, I think you should start a theater company to help people like you she had her own theater company, but she said, with the way you talk and as passionate as you are about your community, I think you should start a theater company. And so when I first started Hero Theater, I was like, oh, yay, I'm going to get to play Juliet as a plus size Latina. And then what happened was I wound up giving a Dominican actress in Washington Heights that opportunity, right? Uh-huh. Or, um, you know, giving a young black actor a chance to play uh, another great classic role. And then I was like, wait a minute, I love this and it feels even better. So I just kept going. Yes. That's how it happened. It was very organic. Yes. You know, and then Hero, at that time, there were no BIPOC folk getting classics. And I wanted to change that. But then the things started to open up. And I think a lot of that had to do with the work we were doing, with the work at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival at the time was doing with Equity. Bill Roush was doing some great work. And I was like... You know what? What's the next thing? If we're really going to be heroes, like, what's the next thing? Like, let's keep open. We're to, and so it started organically. And I also didn't want to, I didn't want to not include playwrights in mm. our experience. I was like, okay, Shakespeare and Chekhov did. Like, next, yeah. you know, how how are we moving this doll forward? So that's how it happened. Such an inspiring answer. And thank you for sharing that. <laughs> and I actually even just want to touch on the name yeah. Hero first, because uh-huh. I've heard you talk about you know, actors, artists in general, they're heroes. We're all heroes that do that type of work. But specifically for you, as you think about your community and supporting and championing voices within your community, you look at them in particular, and rightly so, hold them to this place of, or maybe even emboldening them is maybe a better way to say that, to yeah. to be a hero, to see themselves as a hero. Yes, because we're consistently beat down and treated as others, right? Like, right? Yes. And I think that um, when we pour that love into ourselves and then in- share that with communities in need, other communities, whether within our diaspora or not, that's a beautiful thing. I'm not saying we're we're perfect. We're not. We're not like the leaders in equity. Listen, I... I, if I had more resource, resources, that that would be moving towards being true with giving every single community a need opportunity. But I do yeah. think that I try to do, we try to do our part. Yes. And that's what's important. I think there's something really interesting in that uh, a lot of the work that you focused on and continue to focus on with Hero is, to your point, about sort of reviving, renewing, reinventing the classics and what it is that's called that right yes and that's something that i think some theaters are starting to bigger theaters are starting to do now and i'm like that's awesome we've been doing that for about 12 years (laughs) but hey welcome to the party and if y'all got more resources to pay this community well hey yes bring it you know what i mean totally bring it it's that thing of um 
Last year, we did a play by Velina Hasu Houston called Tea, mm. which is a classic in the Asian community. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to work on Tea. I wanted to work with Velina because she's an Afro-Japanese playwright. Mm. Okay. And I, those, the dialogue between the Black and Asian community in Los Angeles needs to happen more and more. Yes. Right. There's a lot of... Um, uh, reparation, like healing that needs to be done. Yes. And I just thought, wow, this woman is so fascinating. And I asked her if we could do tea. And she said, yes. And she said, did Olympia tell you about the play? Because she was one of the first producers of it. I said, ah. Olympia Dukakis was one of the first. Wait a minute, that's crazy. I didn't, Olympia was alive at the time when yeah. I decided to do it. It's by coincidence. She wow. was like one of the first producers of that play. Wow. Oh, yeah. And she loved it for the same reasons I did, right? And so with tea, tea had been done for over 40 years, yeah. but taught only in very, not like taught in Asian studies classes mm-hmm. and such culturally. And I'm like, wait a minute, this play is a classic. This is a classic. Yeah. It's a classic in all communities. Classics belong to all of us. Yes. That? Because the casting is culturally specific does not mean that it doesn't, it's not going to affect you and me, right? Yes. And I read that play and it just reminded me of the immigrant story of my mom and so many other women who come to this country. And I cried so much and I said, we're going to do a reading of it. We like to do free readings so that folks can come that can normally not afford theater. And then I would like to produce this. And we did. And it was we hung in there with that play. We kept we shut down. We had to shut down like three times because of the pandemic. Wow. Industry opera company loaned us the the lumber from their set because they had to shut down. And we used that lumber. We stored it at Company of Angels. They gave us free storage space. And we put that play up with borrowed lumber. But that was, I think that's what happens in times like this is like the theater community is coming together in a different way, mm-hmm. but also when they care about the project. Because I think if we were doing Guys and Dolls, they wouldn't care the same. Not yeah. that I don't like a little Guys and Dolls, but you know what well, I mean? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we got to do things that, that move the dial forward, that totally. make us grow as people and community. Can you tell me just like a little bit more about what you've learned through that experience and engaging the community, bringing them in in new ways? You know, I take it back to like when I was a kid, the kind of theater that I was able to afford to see, right? It was like any free theater that came into the Bronx, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> into our neighborhoods. And I was raised um, by a single mom with eight kids came wow. from Puerto Rico and my cousin was a trans woman. Wow. So I had two moms. Yeah. Um and they were the most romantic women ever. Like ever. Wow. Um and one of the things this is going to circle back to answering your question. One of the plays we're working on now, we're going into rehearsal in um next month. It's called Nothing Nothing. It's by Amina Henry mm-hmm. and it's actually a rom- uh, it's a romantic adaptation of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing set in a black church. Wow. Yes. Okay. And that was because we had done a partnership at the time with the Downtown Women's Center yeah. and another and, and the Alexandra House, a transitional shelter for mm-hmm. for battered women and their children and um the folks that came to see our last play they kept saying, like, I, I asked them afterwards, what kind of plays do you want to see? And they were like, love and romance, happiness, joy. So I said, okay, how can we do this for the community that feels inclusive? And what's so I went back to Amina Henry, mm-hmm. um, incredible Jamaican American playwright who's our resident playwright. And I said, Amina, you've written plays for us before for communities in need. I said, I, I, I love how real folk respond to her work. Yes. 
it always feels so like right there, right? So accessible. When you had like these women in audiences who had clearly been through so much saying that they wanted romance and joy, I said to Amina, I, this reminds me of, of my mom's, yeah. right? And what they wanted in their lives. And mm. they so desired a healthy love. She said, I want to do an adaptation of much you do about nothing because it's so taboo about sex, mm-hmm. but set it in a black church. And I was like, okay, whoa, we're going to go there. <laughs> so we actually um, rented out the Friendship Baptist Church in mm. Pasadena, yeah. which is in a historical, formerly segregated neighborhood. Ah. Um, and it would, where Dr. Martin Luther King preached mm-hmm. and we're going to have it there. And we're also going to explore, and I say this with all the love in my heart, that my friends from Black LGBTQ plus communities ¿verdad? have missed the church because that's what a lot of them grew up with. Yes. But because of the taboos, yes. hello, <laughs> in church. Um, and I, I, we need to remedy that. Those conversations need to be open. So that play is going to be going there as well. In terms of doing community theater, it's just like in my heart of hearts, I'm still that kid that grew up on food stamps and, and with yeah. a mom that was struggling, working, you know, you know, who barely spoke English. I, in my heart, that's who I am. I'm never going to be that. I always say the ghetto goes with me wherever I go, even with a Fulbright and a master's degree now yeah. and, and a looming PhD, right? It's inside of me. That's yeah. where the community comes from, is just wanting to share with people, folks that I grew up with in yeah. my home, with folks like that, because we deserve art too. Right? Yes. We deserve love stories. I love when you said healthy love. You just, the, the, these people talking to you that are saying examples of like, they just want to see examples of healthy love to yes. celebrate that. Oh my God. And my, work my, on a stage. Like, yes. My cousin was a trans woman, you know, she wanted to be in love always, always, always. That was her thing. And I think we need those stories right now. Love heals a lot. I mean, I yes. think that's good. Yes. And a healthy love is inclusive love. Yes, absolutely. Oof. That is healthy love. Big that, that's why I love when you said that. I was like, oh, yes. Like, yeah. amen to that. Yes. Could yep. not agree more. Yeah. And it's just those examples that are so powerful that to your earlier point, too, it doesn't matter if this is a show that features a predominantly uh, cast of a different sort of yeah. background from yourself. Like you can find something in You're this. This can it. resonate with you. You're gonna Healthy find it. love can resonate yeah. with everyone. Like in Amina's play, Claudio works at Target. <laughs> yes, he's like yeah. from South Central LA. And yeah, you he's may not have Latino, worked there, but you shot like, there. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like these kids, like the kids that like, go through things yes. that we all go through. And I think it's going to be a special piece. I want to ask you something based on what I'm hearing you say when you talk about your mom. Well, and really your two moms. <laughs> My two moms. Isn't that like, yeah. I love that, that. And I never, I'm going to say, I never thought thought about it that deeply. It was just like in our home. My mom was the kind of woman that... She fed the neighborhood. And when my cousin was kicked out by my aunt, my mom took her in and said, you're going to help me and um, sewed for her, made her beautiful dresses in exchange for helping to take care of us. I always love to come back to this question. I, I circle around it a lot in my head because I think particularly right now when we think about America, our definition of America is really complicated. So and complicated. All of us have a very different definition of what America is. Being an American, and for folks that look at America from the outside. Oh, yeah. And for folks like your mom, 
for you, for your siblings, for, you know, your the rest of your family, for others in your community. I'm so curious what America looks like to you and what this idea of the American dream was to your mom, to your family, to you growing up in this community and how America is sort of represented, your own relationship with America is represented in the work that you do. And I think yeah. that'll also be a nice jumping off point for us as we t talk about some of the other work that you're doing outside of America, but still looking yeah. at it from an American Oh, yes. Relationship. I'm, I'm American. I, I, I know yeah. that more than ever just coming back from living in South America, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we have so many different pockets in in this country. Um, and a lot of what I do with Hero, because we are based in Los Angeles, yeah. um, does have a lot to look with the inequities between communities, socioeconomics. That's huge in Los Angeles. Yes. We have so much money and prosperity here in this mm -hmm. city and that we have such poverty as well. And communities literally can't get to each other. There's no subway system that takes you directly anywhere, right? A lot of the work I do is about shining a light on really what's right in your backyard mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. For a long time, I, I, when I first got here, I was so young and uh, I would pay for acting classes by being a nanny, right? So yeah. I was exposed to that big West Side money. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, these folks don't even know what it's like on the yes. other side of town. Yes. They don't even know about how far their their nannies or cleaning ladies had to come on that number two bus down Sunset. They don't even know. And that's the, that's why I keep my company in Los Angeles, even though I've got offers to go here. They, I'm like, no, our work is so important in L.A. because it is so much about shining a light on communities that are in need, really in need. Yes. L.A., I feel, is very much the town of the have much and the have little to quote Quixote, right? Yeah. It's like, well, to quasi-quote uh, Quixote. But it is. It's the have much and the have little here. Mm -hmm. And um, it makes me it makes me nuts. It does. You know, I do a lot of environmental work. Yes. And I think a lot of what environmental justice means in the United States means about changing legislation, implementing legislation yeah. and consumerism, right? Let's get these products, these products that, um, hello, poor black and brown folk, and even poor white folk can't afford yes. those Mrs. Myers cleaning products, right? That make yes. you feel so good about saving the environment. Totally. totally. And then I, I, just spent a huge chunk of time in South America. And what environmental justice means to Colombians, mm -hmm. right, is not about consumerism. Mm -hmm. It's not about a legislation, even though they just voted the first, you know, Afro-Colombian uh, female vice president who's an environmentalist. It's not about that at all. It's about community. Yes. Working together. Yes. Literally, they know that their crops are drying up. They know that stuff is going on that they didn't cause, that North America caused, right? Yes. But they're banding together, comadres y comadres, helping compadres. People are helping each other out there. Yes. Like, you know, your crops are drying up. Let me take, you know, I'll take care of your, your animals for a moment because they, I have grass in my yard. It hasn't rained in ages. It's about reaching out to one another hand in hand. And if that... That is exactly what we need here. Yes. <laughs> that mentality is exactly what we need here. Yes. I'm so really tired of like the bias we have within communities. We, if anything, this pandemic and the climate crisis is teaching us is like we really need each other. Mm -hmm. We really need each other. Mm -hmm. And enough of the BS, you know? 
um, we've needed each other for a minute. A lot, a lot, as we say in the Bronx, a minute, a long, long time. But we have to help each other out. Yeah. That is what I saw in South America. That's how they're approaching the climate crisis. Yeah. And and they're, I, I go in and, you know, do a lot of theater within these communities. Yeah. And it's incredible to do writing work uh, yes. about nature and how it's affecting you and how it's helping to heal what you're going through economically, um, how we can teach children to protect themselves, you know, vulnerable yes. communities using theater for this. Yes. And now we're incorporating film too. I'm doing that a lot in, in Colombia now. You know, yeah. I just finished my Fulbright. I was there, um, like I said, on and off for about a year. My Fulbright experience about seven and a half months long. And and now I'm back and I'm ready to implement everything I learned here. Yeah. And I'm not giving up on it. I want to talk more about that work, uh, just so that everyone kind of listening can also understand the project that took you to South America, Nuestro Planeta. Nuestro Planeta, right? That means our planet. Tell us more about that. That started, ironically enough, it started uh, with at the right at the height of the pandemic two years ago. My brother. Um, was hospitalized uh, for having COVID mm -hmm. and he was what they call a COVID long hauler. Mm. Um, he's gone now and he was in the hospital for 18 months. Mm. And as I saw my brother's health deteriorate and not having theater as my outlet, I went back to school like a lot of folk did. Mm -hmm. um, I looked on this page on Facebook called Theater Folks of Color and I was like, you know, there's always some resources there. And there was an article that somebody had posted about Patrice Cullors, the co-founder of BLM, mm -hmm. starting an MFA program for mid-career activists. Wow. And it was in social and environmental arts practice. And I was like, wait, what? I would love to do that. I felt like that was tailor-made for me almost because I, I knew that after Hurricane Maria and what happened to my family in Puerto Rico, losing our homes and mm -hmm. or at least the homes, some of the homes being so damaged and still are, um, and seeing the way my community was living there, um, that I wanted to do something about the planet to educate our communities to help protect ourselves. In one of Patrice's classes, she had introduced us to an article in the New York Times about these fine artists, sculptors, like mm -hmm. painters and stuff, they were doing climate change art. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, what? And our assignment was like, create something in your theater, in your arts practice, mm -hmm. in your discipline. And I've always somebody, I, you know, I have a musical theater background, so I've always, I dream big, like big, like, <laughs> you know, lights, big lights, music. And I was like, I said, Patrice, what if I started a 10-year environmental justice theater initiative? And we'll start with Latine communities and we'll move into other communities and we'll start with, with Puerto Rico or, I don't know, maybe Colombia. I read Colombia is a Spanish-speaking country that has a lot of biodiversity and we'll bring it into neighborhoods and we'll bring it to the gente. And she was like, okay, write it all down. <laughs> And literally, that's how Nuestro Planeta was born. Um, oh, that's amazing. I, yes, there's so much bias within our Latine communities that I said I could start with Puerto Rico and write some serious hurricane work, or I can actually start with a country like Colombia that we don't see many Colombian narratives on our stage, yeah. if at all. Um, and the ones we see in film are are terrorists. You know, they're they're about Pablo Escobar. Yes. You know, yeah. And I was like, I feel like I would be helping a community out, and also a lot of people don't know that it is the second most biodiverse country on the planet. Yeah, right. And it's the highest Spanish-speaking country. And again, I keep thinking of my mom who didn't understand a lot of English, yes. and how she was still living in this country, and how 
if my mom was still alive, the kind of theater that would touch her and make her think about protecting uh-huh. herself from the climate crisis, but also protecting the earth because we got to become better stewards of the earth ourselves. Yes. It went like that. And then I was looking for a Colombian playwright. I was like, I want a Colombian playwright, but I want her to live in L.A. The, whoever this person is, and it didn't have to be her, but I said, I want this writer to be LA based that way I can work alongside them. So had it turns as it turns out, we had a project that different playwrights collaborated pieces on voting, mm. on voting rights at the time, so around the uh, election. And um, Diana Burbano turned in her um, her uh, bio, and mm-hmm. it said that she was a Colombian immigrant. I said, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, Diana, I was like, do you want this commission? I'll just give it to you. And I was like. But you're going to have to kind of take these research trips with me and you're going to have to make it based in it has to have an educational element to it so that folks are entertained, but also learning and investing in the in the client in the environment, in the earth. So she was like, I'm down and I'm so glad I chose Diana as my first writer, because the next thing you know, we were in the Amazon rainforest (laughs) because, you know, for a lot of folks who don't know the Amazon you know, mm-hmm. it passes Colombia and Peru, Ecuador, Brazil, it passes yeah. different countries. Yeah. So thanks, you know, we're in the Amazon, <sighs> you know, and and we were in the coffee region of uh, Colombia as well, mm-hmm. going up these massive mountains with no guardrails. Like it was just some Indiana yeah. Jones craziness. Yeah. And um, so Nuestro <laughs> Planeta started with a trip, literally. <laughs> um, and then I... When I was finishing up Patrice's program, um, I said to her that I really wanted to apply for a Fulbright. It's important for me. I'm not Colombian, and I'm going to be directing a Colombian narrative and working with this playwright. I want to know more about the people. Yeah. And so I, I, I won it, and then I wound up going uh-huh. and learning a lot. I learned so much. Oh. And I also fell in love there and got engaged. So that ah, is a <laughs> love happy stories, right? <laughs> I know. I know. He was actually the expert who took us through the Amazon. So that's hilarious, right? Oh, my goodness. I love that yeah. story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Literally pulls me out of like quicksand. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, anytime I've been in South America, I learned a lot, too. I, I that, that is a part of the world where I find my heart drawn to in so many way. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. But like, what else do you want us to learn about the people, about that part of the world? Right. Like, I have to preface this by saying, like, we're we're adventurous folk, it seems like, right? Yeah. Because, like, I invited my friend to a wedding. To the, she she's from Chicago, and she was like, "Girl, I'm not going to South America. That's scary. <laughs> yes, that is scary. A lot of people I was still like, believe that. Yes. yes. And I was like, actually, it's not. And the nature there is incredible. And the way they're bending together with such hope yes. for the climate crisis. It's such, yes. that's what I want. I want to just, intro, you know, introduce folks to that world that we're exposed to. But also, you know, again, it's eliminating that fear, right? Yes. And and realizing how privileged I am, too, to be able to even do a trip like that. Yes. Being there maybe and being in the Amazon especially, it did make it makes you face a lot of your own privilege. 
yeah. makes you see the things that you have and the things that you're missing, right? Like I was like, oh, Lord, my body does not belong to myself. I have to start getting in my body, getting more in shape, taking those hikes. <laughs> so I'm not falling into every ditch, you know. Totally. Um, in parts of Colombia, that altitude yes, too, that on top yes, of everything. <laughs> when you see indigenous folks and how they're working together to preserve their culture, it is a humbling Humbling yes. experience. Yeah. I was like, Lord, I thought I was somebody who'd been through a lot in my life. And I was like, you know what? I haven't. Not compared to this. It makes you face a lot and it makes you see, makes you so grateful. I want to bring that to our audiences. And when I say our audiences, we don't have the same audiences generally that Center Theater Group has. Sure. We have folks, we have families from South Central, families, um, you know, from parts of Los Angeles that are less privileged because they know they can come see a show of ours for free or for very little. And if they can't afford the ticket, they're getting in anyway. Yeah. Like we don't turn folks away. You talked about overcoming fear. And to me, that strikes a lot of chords thinking about being an artist, being an actor, like an actor confronts fear every single day when yes. they put themselves on stage Ooh. and they're vulnerable for an audience, a playwright, when they put their soul into the work, a director to sort of stand in a room with confidence to be this sort of figure that can guide others through that experience. Yes. And so when I think about hero theater and back to sort of your earlier definition of that and sort of concept where that idea came from, that actors are heroes. And especially when you think about these communities that you're you're Who've these voices injured. that you're providing this place yeah injured from being w what they were born into yes and also injured from working at predominantly white spaces with folks that don't understand yes yes right? talk and about I, a different dimension of fear oh, altogether. Painful. like and i'm gonna you know white cis male spaces those directors mm -hmm. punishing right mm -hmm. and what we don't see that we've kept our mouths shut so much and mm. just being that kind of I'm the obedient kid in the room right it's a horrible thing to hear but that's really yeah. our psyche we go through like we have to keep our mouths shut not be in our authenticity almost be like robots yes right yes but yet a lot of the narratives we're asked to do are specific to our people so well, um, I said, I remember saying this to a director one time and she did apologize to me. Mm. I said, you know, I said, I the changes that were made in act two, I said, I keep wondering, like, if I keep wanting to say to the writer, give me some of that, get my character some of that. And she goes, that sounds very disrespectful to me when you say give me some of that. I said, you know what? No disrespect, but you hire me to play women from the ghetto. But when I speak in my authenticity, you don't like it. Mm. And I have issues with that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what happens with us is that we're consistently in order to get a job at one of the big PWI theaters. We have mm -hmm. to conform and put ourselves in the box. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot, I, I remember I had one actress say to me in the rehearsal room, oh, you're too nice, Elisa. You're too nice. I said, why? Because I just let people be who they are. Mm. Right. Where mm -hmm. I, I, I accept that a lot of the their, um, you know, Crap is coming from somewhere else and not me, mm. right? And we have that conversation later, right? Yes. Hey, you made me feel this way. Did, did I provoke this? Like, what's going on? You know, yes. have it because there's such a hierarchy in traditional American theater now. It's like we're sick. Yeah. You know, the yeah. actors, we're aware of the actors, yes. right? Yeah. We're living these characters. I, I had a young 
actress in my company say, I think I'm going to switch to playwriting because I feel powerless. I don't want to be the powerless person in the room. I said, but you're the most powerful because when you're in front of the audience, you're the one there delivering that. All eyes on you, my friend. Everybody's depending on you. But wait a minute, let me pick you apart while you're in the rehearsal room and take everything away that makes you original, makes you who you are. Totally, totally, totally. And fighting through that experience and persevering. And it's interesting. I hope others that kind of hear this conversation will have this takeaway as well, that everything that you're talking about applies to the office as well. For people that live in corporate America, for people that have any type of, any type of work, whatever that may be, you know, and what, I think theater is this super interesting place, of course, because as you're talking about this, as we're kind of having this conversation, we're talking about like that true sort of raw stripping down and vulnerability and then like putting on a face and an image and a persona. Mm-hmm. And, and a so, costume and uncomfortable shoes and all that. And then go out there and tell that story. Exactly. And go out the, there and make people feel. Yes. And go in there and make them feel like they're $75 worth well spent. And it's a lot. We go through so much mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, even more. Right? Yeah. The standards, the beauty standards, the body standards, all that stuff. Um, and it's hard. It's it's really hard. And and I I strive to create a safe space for for actors. I I don't want to say we are, I wanna say because we're always growing, little by little, always growing, always growing. Yes. The more I listen, the more I grow, there's always room for growth. Yes. As my friend Justina Machado, you know, actress, incredible actress, Mm -hmm. she says, Girl, we're all a work in progress, right? (laughs) So right. So yes. right, you know. Absolutely. And that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we should celebrate that more. Yes. We should cultivate that more. We should create more of a safe space for that work yes. to be done. Yep. Uh, I want to go back to the point you were making about accessibility. Mm-hmm. And I love this in oh, yeah. the work that you create, making sure that the people that absolutely deserve to be there, have the opportunity to sit in those seats and appreciate that work and maybe don't have that opportunity anywhere else. I love that you're doing that. But unfortunately, there's the business side of theater in the world today Mm -hmm. that we're increasingly seeing ticket prices soaring. Mm -hmm. Production costs are just out of control because of the pandemic, because of health and safety concerns, and all of these things that are necessary in terms of protecting actors, creating a safe space for the work to be done, there's some of it that you recognize as this is this is just part of the cost of creating the work, but then yeah. there's a lot of it too that is where the money is actually going to oh, at the end of the day that's a bit of an issue. <laughs> I know. And we, like... you know, we could go there, but I'm curious, how do you continue to sort of make the case to defy that system with the work that you do? Well, right now, um, uh, because I'm hearing different things in in your question, right? One of the things we're doing is we're moving towards more site-specific work. We can't do that because we're a smaller theater company. 
um, to be able to cut back on production costs and we can give the actors more money. Yeah. That's one of the things we're looking to doing in terms of Becoming creative in terms of how you produce the work so that, yeah, the money can go where it needs to go. Yes, exactly. Um, So, and one of the other models that I I do want to start looking at is like a a shared box. You Mm. know what I mean? Where we're still giving a salary, but we do a shared box office. There's a lot of different models that I'm, you know, currently examining for that. People keep talking about live stream. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing some national theater live things on live stream that were like life changing for me. Mm-hmm. That costs a lot. A lot that of money, costs yes. a lot. Company like mine, you know, we can't do that. We, 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 you know, we barely charge for tickets. So it's like we can't do that. Yeah. Can't afford to. I'm consistently trying to come up with different models, try different things. And I'm and I do I, I say this with the you know, I'm was lucky enough to have a, a history in film and television, right? Mm. And I do, I'll call up my friends, I, you know, Charlie Days, one of my friends, he's going to kill yeah. me for saying, but Charlie from So Is Sunny. And I remember Charlie from being like 18 and doing theater in Williamstown. I'm like, Charlie, can you help us pay for the bus for the folks from these centers, <laughs> for the folks that can come? They can't afford the ticket. We can't get free tickets. They don't have transportation. Charlie's like, oh, not the bus is on me. Like, I'm trying, I just try to pull yeah. from every community because I want to get past the point where I was before, where yes. I was angry, right? I was, yeah. I was just angry, like, Damn it. Like, if I was like a white cis dude, I'd be working on TV so much. I'm past that. It's like, who's working? How can y'all help me? Yeah. <laughs> who's working and how can you help? That's the point where I'm at. My friend says, I can't sit, I don't sit anybody next to you, Elisa, any of my friends at my parties that have a job. Cause I know you're going to be like, and here's Hero Theater backslash donate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like, oh, you have a job? Oh, you know. I'm curious, like, maybe one last question. For theater as an art form, as an institution, what does that look like as an institution for the future? And how are you thinking about it as an art form to approach audiences, the audiences maybe that are going to the theater today that you hope you can bring into the theater tomorrow? Um, I want to start by saying I realize that there is a value in all sorts of theater. There is mm-hmm. in, um, I had a friend of mine said to me one time, theater has to mean something. Those plays don't mean anything that you see those big Broadway shows. And I'm like, really? Because there's been times when I've been through so much in my life where I, I've been privileged enough to have money for a ticket and I'll go and I'll sit and look at the show and just the sheer escape of it helped yeah. me, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to take away from that. But the bigger institutions, I think, they're look they're on the positive note of all this going on. And I am going to be provocative enough to say it and get a few hate emails from my friends working at the big <laughs> at the big theaters. Is that they're going to have to scale back what really matters. Yeah. And like Danny was saying, right, community folks are still going to see theater, right, yes. in communities. Yeah. Why? Because a theater quite frequently is about seeing themselves or seeing something that they want to hear, they can relate to, and that they can afford to go to. That's the thing. Theater has become so corporate in this country. It makes me mad as a hatter, right? It's become so corporate. And it's, again, big not-for-profit theaters. Wait a minute. That's supposed to be not for profit. It's supposed to be of service to a community. Yes. Where are you going with that? <laughs> you 
you try to get stuff on Broadway. I see you. I see you. Yeah. You know, and as arts leaders, right? Because I got, you know, I had a leadership grant. I worked at the Oregon Shakespeare for a little bit. Yeah. Festival for a little bit. And I was lucky enough to work with some like-minded folks who had a background in community theater. But when you're there and you see like, wait a minute, how much are you guys spending on these sets? Do you know how many companies you can help in this landscape? I want Nuestro Planeta to answer your question. And the plays, like nothing, nothing that we do to deliver important, nutritious messages, messages that people can relate to that make them feel good because right now we're all going through something collectively. I just hope that when people see like, wow, Boca Negra is getting attention for a certain thing, it's because there's a need for it. I'm not the prom queen here. (laughs) 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 It really, I'm not inventing the wheel here. I'm just looking left and right. My responsibility as an arts leader of a nonprofit is looking outwards, not inwards. Thank you so much for Thank this conversation. You. Oh, you're so, so lovely and fun, fun to talk to. <laughs> this episode was produced by the Untitled Future team. For more information about Untitled Future, please visit us at untitledfuture.com or follow us on LinkedIn. And for more episodes, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, I'm your host, Justin Boone. Thanks for listening. And remember, life's better when you belong.